hi and welcome to House Call, a podcast about all things hospital at home from the IHUB in Healthcare Improvement Scotland. This morning we are delighted to introduce Zoe Tribble. Zoe is a senior nurse um, integrated paediatrics and is a lead in developing hospital at home services for paediatrics tricks in the NHS in England and we've been really really lucky to get some time with Zoe to talk about all things hospital at home paediatrics. Um, so Zoe I'll just let you introduce yourself um, and if you can tell us a little bit about your background to date, how did you get here, what's your journey to hospital mm-hmm. at home? So thank you so much for inviting me on, you've really bigged me up now so I'm just going to have to really like you know have a presence on this podcast but I'm so delighted to be here because I think it's such an important topic and um, I know that I've got some really good questions and some good feedback and a really good vibe from the the conference that we presented in Glasgow um, a few weeks ago so so I've been a nurse for 20 years, always been a paediatric nurse, um, and the majority of my career has been in the community. So I was a community children's nurse for about 10 years. Um, and then a funny thing happened because I've been trying to get into the acute care of children at home for a number of years. Um, but our commissioners at the time didn't really necessarily see the value of setting up what we would know now as a children's hospital at home team because they didn't necessarily feel that there was a need or um, that they would get the the investment back if they put into the service and increase the the length of um, hours for the hospital children's community nursing team etc etc and so our local paediatrician at King's College Hospital, uh, Moak and Doley, who is now working for um, Healthy London Partnership, who is absolutely marvellous, she approached a private company who was already operating out of King's College Hospital um, to doing doing hospital at home services for adults and asked them, seeing as the, the commissioners at this point didn't necessarily feel that it was a value, would the private company extend their reach into paediatrics? And so they did a scoping exercise and they said, yes, we can, lovely jubbly. And so then the word got out that this company wanted to um, expand their adult services to children to look after acutely unwell children as they do acutely unwell adults. Um, And then the word got round and my manager came in one day and said, I can't believe this. There's a private company who's going to set up a hospital home service at, um, at King's and they're going to take all our services. They're going to take all our what we're doing for children and they're going to poach our stuff. And my ears pricked up <laughs> and I feel a bit guilty <laughs> because I applied for the lead nurse for this job after that. Um, but that was the first of a journey, I think, that's taken hospital at home from nothing to growth, exponential growth all throughout the UK. So thankfully, when the service started for this private company, my whole intention was that we would do ourselves out of a job because I wanted to prove the concept. I wanted to make sure that people identified hospital at home as a really um, good service and a valuable, um, sustainable service for children. So we developed some data, we set up a service. At the moment, at that point in time, it was just doing IV antibiotics, really. There was a bit of, of assessment of acutely unwell children, but mainly it was to do with IV antibiotics. And we had some colleagues at King's who in their ED department decided to see children um, as an outreach team for things like wheeze 
um, and more acute young whale stuff. So we were running two parallel services that, that as one was a children's hospital at home service. So the commissioners were very happy with the fact that this service was, was developed and they developed the um, ED service. So they decided then that they would try and commission a service for all of it. And as a consequence, the private company that I was working for opted not to deliver this service anymore, which was which was a blow for, I guess, the people in the team. But it was always my intention that the, the service would, would carry on if for the NHS, because that's where it needs to be. And that's where the sustainability is. So now I left that job and went to Islington and managed their children's hospital at home team there, because that one was set up about a year before I joined um, joined the Islington team they'd set one up in sort of parallel and so then there were hospital home teams popping up now so we could see the value the word was getting out of the data Islington did an amazing um, evaluation to to ascertain the success of their um, their service and then teams just started growing and I was being contacted by other teams to say we're developing this service now um, can you help me so I decided to get together a, a group of hospital home services. And at that point, it was just London because I didn't know of any outside of London. So it became the Pan London Children's Hospital at Home Forum. So that was four members back in about 2016. And now we've got over 100 members. So there are teams now from there's loads of teams everywhere. So there's teams in London, Southampton, Brighton, Isle of Man. Um, all the way up to Bradford, but there aren't any in Scotland at the moment. So what I'm really keen to do is to support those um, who have ambitions to develop children's hospital at home teams to, to not be worried about it and to and to go for it. And, and if I can help in any way to do that, then I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Zoe, thank you. I have so many questions I want to mm. answer you, ask you and then in your introduction, you've answered so many of them. Um, um, but thank you so much. And I suppose to start then with the with what might seem like an obvious question, but when you're trying to start a hospital or home service, people want to know why. So what's the evidence base? Why why do you need this? Did you have the same questions? Did you face the same barriers? And and how did you explain why this was going to be so important? Yeah. So I think. There's lots of reasons why I think anecdotally, and this is why I was so passionate about it at the beginning, having been a children's community nurse for, you know, 10 years prior to starting it, we were getting referrals from hospitals for, say, IV antibiotics, and we would turn them away because we just didn't have the capacity to do it. We were a nine to five service. Um, we worked at weekends, but that meant that those children who were on twice a day, three times a day IV antibiotics, they still had to stay in hospital or they go home and then go back at the night time, which doesn't help anybody really. It helps the child get a bit of time at home, but then it doesn't necessarily help the bed situation or the hospital because they still need to block that bed. And the child still needs to spend some time in hospital. And there isn't any such thing at the moment as children's, uh, as OPAT for, or outpatients antibiotic therapy for children, really. It's not, it's not really a thing. And if they did, they'd have to come back to the ward, and they'd have it and then they'd go again. So there's all sorts of reasons, you know, it's the travel to and from hospital, it's the cost that's associated with that, it's not going to school. Um, and it's just the general hassle. And from a hospital point of view, 
I'm sure we've, we're all familiar of the scenes that we've seen in media of ambulances waiting outside of ED. People, you know, though it has a knock-on effect, you know, people who, if their ambulance is waiting outside A&E, they're not going to somebody else's house who desperately needs one. So it's the whole flow issue that needed to be fixed as well. Yeah. And so, although there's not, there wasn't much literature and there still isn't, to be honest, in relation to children's hospital home services. So we just had to kind of make a guess because if there was literature then and, and research and data to back it up, then the uh, commissioners would have done it from the get-go. But because there wasn't, we just had to wing it. <laughs> and so we just had to be really brave and say, you know what, we can see what's going on with our own eyes. Let's do something about it. So that's kind of, that's the evidence that um, made me want to pick up what everybody else was feeling and the feedback we were getting from the patients about we're spending too long in hospital and my child is missing too much at school, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the key driver really for setting up these services. And you talked a little bit there about the feedback that you've had. Can you describe a bit about the difference that this service makes? So what data do you have um, and what feedback do you get from patients and service deliverers if I tell you, it's phenomenal. It doesn't even come close. So every single service that, that is part of our forum, which is pretty much all of them in the UK, has 100% patient satisfaction. And that is unheard of yeah. in the NHS. No one gets 100%. But the difference that it makes to families when you can see their child at home and they don't have to spend any longer than they really need to in hospital. And sometimes they don't need to go to hospital at all. It's just phenomenal. I mean, if we use our home-based phototherapy uh, service as a, as a kind of example. So our home-based phototherapy service looks after babies who have jaundice at home. And so it means they don't have to come in. And so if you imagine, back, well, not even back in the day, most, most people, for, children, for babies who have jaundice, their midwife goes in in the first week, says your baby is jaundiced. Then they go to A&E, wait in A&E for how long, however long they need to be waiting for. They have a blood test in the department. They decide then, okay, your, your baby is jaundiced, I need treatment. So then they get admitted to the ward. And then they spend the next two, three, four days, however long it is, on a bassinet with just a nappy and goggles under lights. So this is a really formative time in the bonding period of a baby and a family's life. Um, and so they're having to spend time in hospital. They might have other children as well, and mm -hmm. some they need looking after too. So they've got other family members or childminders or whoever looking after their babies, their other babies. And so they're having to spend time now with their other baby in hospital, and they're they're having to leave them there unless they're feeding them or changing their nappy. And that's for two or three days. I mean, that's unheard of. As a parent of myself, and, I, and I'm sure, and not even as a parent, as somebody who has caring responsibilities, it's so painful to think that you're not going to be able to pick up your, your baby in the first yeah. week of their life because they they happen to be under lights. Whereas we've developed a, developed a service using biddy blankets, which means that they can be at home having phototherapy. And the Billy Blankets work by wrapping around the baby. So you can literally hold them, cuddle them, feed them, change them, et cetera, et cetera. And then they don't need to spend time in hospital. And so the baby's 
if the family chooses to breastfeed their baby, that's better too. That's a, that's more achievable um, because you, you've, you've got that closeness there. The families love it. And you may even have a mother who is recovering from quite a traumatic birth. And so they get to recuperate at home rather than traipsing up to hospital to have their, their baby treated for something that we can do at home. So the feedback that we're getting from families is, is just phenomenal. It really, really is phenomenal. And they absolutely love the service. And they wish it could be rolled out everywhere. And that's the that's a classic theme. This needs to be everywhere. That's what people say. Thank you, Zoe. And you were just, it was resonating so much with me when you were talking there about, you know, those first kind of weeks of your baby's life and having everything that goes with that and then having, you know, that extended stay in hospital. Yeah. Just the difference that this would make. Can you tell um, our listeners a little bit about how the service works operationally? And, and by that, I mean, how does it run? Is it nurse-led? Who has the who's the responsible medical officer? Um, yeah. And you mentioned the phototherapy. What interventions are quite common within the service? Yeah. So the majority of children's hospital at home teams, although not all, operate between eight in the morning and ten o'clock at night, and so they can visit children multiple times a day. And the minimum staffing that you can do because there's lots of variables, there's, you know, there's the geography, it's how long it takes to get from A to B, etc. But the minimum safe staffing that you can do for that is one band seven nurse and three band sixes and, and probably 50% admin. So, and that is the bare minimum, you can't run a rotor on less than that. So that's the bare minimum rotor. However, we are very lucky in London that we've got very good transport infrastructure. Um, so where we are in Tower Hamlets, we've got access to, you name it, in terms of public transport, tube, buses, bikes, we've even got cable car, you know, it's just, it is, we're very, very lucky, but for those people who struggle to get about, and even across the river in South London, it's not as good because there's no tubes there, so they, so they need to use cars, it takes a bit longer, so it depends very much what your geography is looking like about what your staffing setup would be, however, the nurses, though, do need to be experienced because they're making clinical decisions in a home environment on their own. So in that respect, it's it's nurse led. So you've got a nurse running the service who's normally a band seven um, looking after band six nurses and some administrative support um, for a certain cohort of children. And, and in Tower Hamlets, we can have up to eight or nine visits a day, depending on where where the child lives and how long it takes to get to and the length of visit, et cetera, et cetera. However, we operate on what most people would call a virtual ward basis. So those children who are in um, hospital go home with hospital at home, but they still remain on the list of the children who are, who are in inverted commas admitted. So they don't move from, from, that, from that list. So they're discussed at ward round like an inpatient. And the paediatricians also realize that they are still looking after them. So the person who has clinical responsibility for those, we use the, what we call the consultant of the week. So there's a paediatrician who has clinical general paediatric responsibility um, for the children all week. And they also retain responsibility for the children that are on the hospital at home caseload. And so the nurses call them every day just to give them an update about how, how they're going and to discuss any changes in treatment or if they're worried about them, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a hotline straight to the consultant for the, the children who are remaining at home. 
And when the, the child has finished their uh, episode of care, then they're discharged in, in the same way as you would discharge someone from hospital. So discharge summary is sent to the GP um, and then outpatient appointment is arranged if required in the same way as they would be if they were in hospital. So there's lots of pathways that we look at. The most common is IV antibiotics. That's the bread and butter of most children's hospital at home services. We also do assessment of acutely unwell children. Um, we do viral induced wheeze, asthma. So the weaning of inhalers, that's a really good one that we can do as well. And bronchiolitis. And we all know how tricky bronchiolitis can be in bronchiolitis season. That's that's our, our main um, admissions for, for children in the hospital. But for those children who are improving, who have been in the hospital for a while and are improving, who just need to reduce the length of stay, or have come into ED and then they're not quite unwell enough to be admitted, but still need some additional support, then hospital at home nurses will go in and, and keep an eye on them and um, check their feeding and, and then escalate if necessary, if they become unwell or more unwell. And of course, the home-based phototherapy for uh, neonatal physiological jaundice, that's something that they do as well. So there's lots and lots of different um, pathways that, that, that the hospital at home team do. One of the key ones that we're really looking forward to doing though is treatment of children who have complex needs. So there's a, a small, they're small in number, but their, key, their needs are great. So these are the, the children who have complex medical needs who often become unwell with things like chest infections, et cetera. Um, and then when they're admitted, spend a lot of time in hospital because it, it takes a bit of time to, to get on top of their illness and then arrange home care when they, when they come out again. So with these children, we're hoping to be able to go in and assess them and start treatment at home to prevent them from coming into hospital. And our team at the Evelina Children's Hospital, that's what they do. So they're brilliant at doing that. And they've got an advanced clinical practitioner, um, Laura, who is fabulous. So she'll be able to um, go in and assess and prevent the children from going into hospital. So that's an ambition of mine as well in our team to try and do that. But I think one message really to get out there is in the same as the adult services, there's no one size fits all model. We are trying to develop standards for hot children's hospital at home so we can benchmark against what we're supposed to be doing. But at the same time, if there's a cohort of children that you think they could be treated at home and you can design your service to match their needs, it doesn't necessarily have to be all hospital at home teams have to do WEs, all hospital at home teams have to do IV antibiotics. It just ha so happens that that's what most teams do. But you might decide that there's a certain condition in your area that would lend itself to hospital at home that you would rather concentrate on that. And that is absolutely fine too. To me, unless a child is absolutely acutely unwell and needs to be in hospital, if we can do something at home, then we should. And I think that should be the default. That rings so true with everything that we hear um, from the services that we, we work with on a daily basis in Scotland. It's one of the uh, quotes that really sits with me is we don't we don't say no, we ask mm -hmm. how. Um, mm -hmm. And we take the patient and then we work out how we'll do it. Um, so what you've just described kind of fits really well with that. And in Scotland, there are hospital homes is a really fast growing model. Mm -hmm. um, but it is predominantly for adults at the moment and given paediatrics is such a specialist area what do you think in your opinion is the best way for these existing services to move to take kind of to look at a children's service is it 
an expansion of the service? Is it a new service? It's, you know, it's different specialists mm -hmm. needed. So what would you say, what would be your advice for those services who are looking to provide care for children? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's really important to look at, in the same way I've just described, look at what is your issue and target that. So if you've got lots of children on your ward who are coming in with bronchiolitis, um, although that is seasonal, but if you've got lots of, if you want to focus on that, then focus on that and see what you can do at home. And one of the key things is you can't do it on your own. You need to be able to get your key uh, supporters around you. And those key supporters are your nursing staff, your paediatricians, your pharmacists, don't forget those, and your service managers. So all of those people need to work together to do this because it, all it takes is one of those to say, no, I'm not happy. And then the whole thing rolls backwards again. You have to start all over again. So getting together a key working group with all the key supporters to get this going is really, really, really important. Um, collect as much data as you can to support it. So we did a lot of data collection right at the beginning to demonstrate the need. So we knew that in our wards there were a certain number of children that were pitched up every year with um, a certain condition and we said we could probably do this at home so let's, let's see what we can do. And then came up with a, a kind of speculative data set to say this is how many children we could, we could um, see at home and this is the difference it will make to bed um, capacity or length of stay or admissions etc etc so your data collection is really really important and your key supporters are really really important as well as concentrating on the one thing that is causing you most grief but not only that you don't run before you can walk start on one thing so once you've identified your key uh, pathway or condition that you want to manage go for that and then as you as your team grows and you get much more much better at seeing children at home then you can expand to other things so as i say most children's hospital at home services start with iv antibiotics that's their bread and butter and actually it's quite an easy thing to translate from hospital to home the the dosage is the same the method of administration is the same the difference is you're doing it in someone's living room with a tray uh, balanced on the, the arm of a chair or you're doing it at school because they can now go to school because you'll be able to see them there so it it's just a matter of moving something from the hospital to the home and start easy because then you can expand you could expand and move the goalposts into something a bit more tricky once you've got the processes right you've mentioned so many amazing tips there and i'm going to come back to that but um in there you talked about engagement and how important it is mm -hmm. to engage with the team that you can be working with the service managers that kind of thing and you, you talked about how you did that so with data involving people from the start and focusing on the key issues mm -hmm. is there anything else you would say about engagement because again it's something that really resonates we found it yeah. engage enough at the start you're going to come up with come up against barriers so anything else you would kind of advise people to do when it comes to engaging with people yeah absolutely so right at the beginning of your service and i think this is this is something the feedback that we got um within the team at tower hamlets that they that they thought we could do better at is right at the beginning you need to showcase it and tell people what you're doing and so that means going to team meetings, that means going to your new doctor's handover and their orientation. But also the engagement doesn't stop there. So you can't really sit on your laurels and say, OK, the team's running now and then expect it to run. Lovely. Thank you very much. 
forever and a day because staff change and and what the issues that we've had mostly is particularly with doctors new doctors so doctors work on rotation and given that it's still fairly new service most doctors when they come don't know about it and don't know what it is so you have to be able to engage with them because they're the ones who are going to be referring to you so they, they're the ones identifying the children and allowing them to, to come onto the caseload so it's it's very important that you, that you maintain that engagement all through um, and raise the profile constantly you've got to shout to be heard and so that is and and you know really really be out there and proud about what you're doing and yeah just let people know posters podcasts like this is quite is wonderful um and just yeah just doing what you're doing uh, you know you do best to get the, the word out really thanks and i'm going to come on to the most broad question you could possibly imagine so forgive forgive me for that but what would be your top tips and you've already said so many through this podcast but what would be your top tips for someone who was looking to start this hospital home service for children so i guess i can give three top tips so fantastic my first top tip is get some friends because you don't want to do it on your own and make sure that you get some friends who are influential um who want the service as much as you do and can make things happen um, and move things forward and get a, a group a wide group of friends that 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 can you know fill in the gaps because they they you need them to be able to talk to their colleagues at, on a peer level. So that's one thing. Make some friends. Second thing, get some data to um, demonstrate the the service and what you intend to do. So get last year's data. I mean, it's a bit difficult because we're still kind of on a hangover from COVID, but get last year's data from your own unit. Get some data from other hospital home teams and what um, what they're doing. Um, just to try and prove the concept and say, this is what we want to do, this is the need, and this is the difference we think it's going to make. And this is how we're going to measure it going forward. So decide what your key performance indicators and your um, data collection will be going forward to prove concept. And then the third thing is start small. Start with one condition or one pathway and move forward with that. So that they're my three top tips, really. And with you know, once you get your friends, your data, and your your condition, you know, plain sailing. <laughs> Thank you. Is there anything else you want to say? Um, while we've got this, while we've got this time with you, is there anything else that you think you'd like to let people know? Or yeah. Yeah, so I think I think um, joining the hospital at home um, society is wonderful, and so we're doing some benchmarking uh, within children's services to to get some ideas about how we're all performing and what standards we should be operating uh, with, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually, the main message that I want to get out there is just be brave. You don't get anywhere without being brave, and if you want to do something, and if you really feel that it's a service that you want to go for, then go for it and do it and be tenacious and work at it don't take no for an answer say you know if somebody says no that won't work then go back and say okay so what's what's the matter then what how can we make it work and so you just go on like that just don't take no for an answer and that's that's been my ethos from day one <laughs> 
and what a note to end on honestly zoe i could talk to you for hours your passion comes through for this so strongly but i do know you are a very busy lady so all that is left for me to say is i've absolutely loved speaking to you today and i've learned so much just in this half an hour that we've been chatting so thank you so much and we hope to keep in touch and keep you up to date with what's happening in scotland so we really appreciate your time lovely thank you so much for having me it's been brilliant thank you thanks zoe bye bye bye